When you look at Viktor Saniev's off-season training, you look at Vasily Alexiev, the great super heavyweight lifter, Yuri Sadiq told me this too, is that most of these athletes in the off-season either played volleyball extremely seriously hmm. or soccer extremely seriously. Volleyball is what the explosive sports did in the Soviet Union to the point that a lot of the guys would push off their hammer throwing or their jumping for a while because they were in a tournament <laughs> and that tournament was more important than their off-season triple jump. That was Dan John, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, simplyfaster.com. There's two items I'd like to talk to you about today that you can find in Simply Faster's online store. Whether you're a coach or an athlete, these are both things that you'll find highly useful as tools in your training toolbox. The first is blood flow restriction training methods. And after hearing about blood flow restriction training for years now, as well as the results that athletes are getting with it, especially in, for example, uh, lactate sports like swimming, 100 meter freestyle, and not only hearing of that, but also seeing how much some swimmers had liked that type of training method, I knew I had to start trying it out myself. So I've been utilizing the airbands. I really enjoy it, both the feeling while I'm actually training with them, as well as seeing the visual result of spending time training with the methods and then the strength result. They've been a really cool training tool, and I would definitely recommend checking into airbands. Simplyfaster.com also has Be Strong brand blood flow restriction. The second item is the VMAX Pro. And this is a new option for velocity-based training, barbell tracking. It provides valuable load-based data, including speed in all phases of a lift, and it delivers key metrics such as power, velocity, distance, as well as duration of effort. The VMAX Pro system measures any lift you can think of. It's portable, durable, and intuitive. You can check out these two items and much more at our sponsor, simplyfaster.com's online store. Let's get on to the show. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thanks for being here. On the podcast today, I'm happy to welcome back Coach Dan John. He's a strength coach, a track coach, and a writer. Dan is a legendary contributor to the world of human performance. He's written numerous top-selling books in the world of strength development, such as Easy Strength, as well as having coached and taught athletes for decades. Dan has been a multi-time guest on this podcast and is one of the greatest influences on the way that I see the process of sports development. On the show today, Dan will be speaking on whole part whole teaching of sports and athletic skills and how if we get too far down into the parts, into all these little drills and nuances, but we don't bring it back or really circulate our instruction around the whole, we will create this gap between training and instruction and when an athlete is actually competing and actually displaying their skills. Dan will also be going into his motor learning and instructional library and coaching and specifically speaking on elements of using velocity or even increasing complexity of the movement, challenging the rhythm of the movement and infusing relaxation to help athletes better adapt their technical abilities and also just to be better and more robust problem solvers as they learn to optimize their own skills over time. Dan will be speaking on games and games that aren't specific to one sport. So if I'm in track, like I'm doing, I'm playing basketball or volleyball, or if I'm in a team sport situation, using uh, either another sport or just fun games to warm up to help my conditioning level. Dan will also be giving some practical wisdom of where to get started with sets and reps, and he'll be sharing his thoughts on ideas of training phases and periodization. It's always an honor to have Dan on the show, and I really enjoy listening to his coaching wisdom 
from his decades in the craft of human performance. Let's get to episode 307. Dan, so you've said this, and I, I, this is really interesting because it's something I've been thinking about is like this almost like, like Rafe Kelly, when he was on, was talking this term atomization of these athletic qualities, like, and it's just kind of stuck with me. And you, you were talking about like, like hurdling and wrestling, preparing you for football better than, all right, we're going to get in the weight room and, you know, we're doing this periodization and, and this kind of rate of force development and this kind of power training and all this. And I've stuff. heard that nonsense. Yeah. 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 I mean, that almost kind of sums it up, right? And like we, in the sense of like, we've talked about being simple, like how do we simplify things and how do we simplify things? And I guess what my question is, is at what point are we dissecting like the lifts too far or like a jump or an outputs or at what point are we starting to dissect? Yes. Do you feel that we are dissecting the whole you know, more it's, than it's it should be? It's a lost style of teaching. And it's this, this is not me trying to be cute, but I've got the, the original JK Doherty's uh, track and field army book right here. Okay. Oh, nice. And, this problem in my fifth or sixth edition I've, I've bought and I had to, cause it, the, the, it keeps falling apart. And the thing I got from him, even as a young athlete was when I was young, we were taught the method of whole part, whole part, whole part, whole. And I don't see that anymore. I teach kettlebells and I teach Olympic lifting, no inserts and stuff. And I'll be with other instructors and it's like part, 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 part. And I can keep saying part for another half an hour, but I'll stop there. Then finally they say, okay, now everybody swing. Well, why your swing so bad? Well, because you showed them a million things not to do. You showed them all these corrections and regressions, but you didn't show them the swing or the, or the, the exercise. So it's got to be, we have to live. I, I, I think I used the word accordion a little bit too much, but you have to almost live like an accordion as a coach, whole part. And so when you pull the accordion apart, you know, there's, all you got more space to add things, but then when it comes time, you know, you got to push it together. So I think the mistake is many coaches have forgotten the whole. And by the way, that's where the fun is too. You know, yeah. there's nothing more fun than 11 on 11 football, American football. And when you play games, there's so much more fun. <clears throat> Even at the most elite levels of soccer football, the game is still fun to the guys. And, you know, when the, the NBA guys, it's still baseball, it's still fun. They like to play the games in baseball. They say that's all eyewash and they go like this. That, that means just more crap they're giving us to do. But in truth, they like to go out and hit the ball and throw it around and laugh. And that's so the whole is the sport itself. Now, you, you let someone do it. And if, if they're brand new to it, you cross your arms and you kind of go just and just kind of and you just wait. And then you fix something and then you do the hole again and then you show a drill and then you do the hole again. And for me, that's what real coaching is about. When you play multiple sports in the off season, the sport teaches you those little things. The thing, I, I was a terrible basketball player and I'm not a very good soccer player, but those two sports taught me triangles. They taught me spacing and it really helped me as a, as a, as a strong safety. Because I could see, I mean, I could just mentally go, okay, I'm, I got this. I need, you know, the triangling helps you move things around. If I'd have been just at a football camp all the time, I might have been taught triangulation, you know, where the ball is with the, but I wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been so in real time fast. You got to know this stuff. And I think that's what gets lost when we overdo things in the deep off season. And it's weird because, 
I mean, it, I'm no fan of the Soviet method. In fact, I think most of it's pure nonsense, to be honest with you, and out lies in many cases. But when you look at Viktor Saniev's off-season training, you look at Vasily Alexiev, the great super heavyweight lifter, Yuri Sadiq told me this too, is that most of these athletes in the off-season either played volleyball extremely seriously <laughs> or soccer extremely seriously. Volleyball is what the explosive sports did in the Soviet Union to the point that a lot of the guys would push off their hammer throwing or their jumping for a while because they were in a tournament <laughs> and that tournament was more important than their off-season triple jump. That's awesome. And if you have a if you do cross country in the fall, soccer, you know, as appropriate summer or winter depending on where you live, and then uh, long distance in the, you know, in track season, I think you'll be a better runner than if you go cross country indoor track track and field because you're going to there's going to be a time in a soccer basketball match where you have to go as fast as you physically can tired because the game might depend on yeah absolutely the other 10 players expect you to do that whereas at a track meet you can maybe ease off because you just don't you know yeah so there's gifts that you get from all this other stuff yeah i love that it it also the thing that's been resonating in my mind a lot is that the some of the parts in those situations in hurdling and wrestling and playing volleyball is greater than the the sum the whole is greater than the little sum of the parts like if you added all the sum of the parts it's, together you can't get that thing that you get when you're doing the big thing you know i remember when synergy was first explained to me at the olympic training center in 1984 and the person just said it's one plus one equals three and it was like one of those moments where you're like huh and then i mean that was 1984. I don't know. Is this, this is this is a couple of months later, right? This is just a few yeah, just few a miles bit. down the road since then. <laughs> well, it's but has that been 40 years? Yeah, oh I was God. born in 83. Yeah, so it's <laughs> that's a long time ago for me. <laughs> so when you were one, yeah, I was one then. And one plus one equals three, and that completely changed my approaches to training and my approaches to coach. Well, training for myself. But the idea is this, is that, so one plus one equals three would be like, if I sleep every night for nine hours, I either meditate or get a nap in every day. I eat protein veggies at every meal and drink water. And I never miss in the weight room. I do all the fundamental human movements. And I don't have any huge errors in the discus technique. I'll throw farther than if I throw 12 hours a day. So all those little tiny ones add up more to just sports specialization with my event. And it's so obvious when you say it, especially when you include sleep and food. But then I work with these high school kids, their coaches expect them to be in the weight room ready to go at 6.30, five days a week. Well, high school boys don't sleep well at night. If, mm -hmm. do, do you have children, Joel? Yeah, they're three and five. Well, you're not there yet, but when you talk to your teenage athletes, one of the hardest things for many of them to do is fall asleep at night. It's like the monkey brain just kicks on at about, oh, I don't know, nine, 10 o'clock. And, and of course, now with cell phones and the internet and all that, it's even worse. I've had athletes tell me, oh, yeah, I get calls at three in the morning and what do you, or texts. I answer them. Okay. You can't be an elite athlete and wake up 50 times a night and text back. You know, that your brain is never going to get where it needs to be, you know, for those deeper sleeps to really rejuvenate the body. So, yes, yeah, synergy, one plus one equals three. 
is 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 the key to all my coaching. And that's why I'm such a big fan. At every school I've taught at, now I haven't been able to do it at the collegiate level because we don't have the numbers, but Friday has always been either flag football day or later. I try, do you know what those big uh, Swiss balls are? You know those big Swiss balls? Like, like I know the normal size is like 30 inches. Are you talking like one yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking, yeah, yeah, the normal okay. size. Okay, got it. And, and, and you know, people do, ex- I think they're a waste of time and energy, but here's what you use it for. I play, we play two games. One is no goalie soccer with those balls. Oh, yeah. Well, when you kick those balls, if you kick them right, they make these massive, they're like wiffle balls. Oh, yeah, like you get that, what's that effect when you throw it off the, oh, I'm trying to think of it. Yeah, yeah I, I know what you're saying, though. Yeah. And then the other game we play with it is not ultimate Frisbee, but ultimate Swiss ball. And <laughs> so the athletes run and they punch it and they kick it and they throw it and ball hits the ground, you know, goes over. I will have athletes who sprint never, sprint their hearts out because of this stupid ultimate game that they're playing. And so for me, I throw that into my training as, as a normal part of our training, even deep into the season. Now, I mean, before the conference, you're not probably not going to do it. And, you know, probably, probably, but, you know, two to three weeks out of the biggest meet, you'd, you'd walk away from that stuff because you don't want to, and it's because of injuries and it's because of an ankle injury. And it's hard to explain that one, but <laughs> Why condition when I can throw that silly little ball out on the field and people lose their mind kicking it, (laughs) punching it, and running with it? And the thing is, they get the conditioning, they get the sprinting in, but they don't even know they're doing it. And it's funny because even if I explain to them, we're doing this for your conditioning, the second that ball hits them, gets close to them, and they punch it, kick it, or whatever, the brain forgot about its conditioning. Now they're just trying to chase the ball down so they can win the honor of being the champion of the Swiss ball, you know? So that's how I like to condition. Yeah. I love that. It it reminds me a little bit about when Joel Reinhardt and Andrew Cormier were on, like Joel was saying that the the ultimate conditioning is if you can do it all in games, small sided games, like, and get those, you know, grab those metrics and not have to go and just run a bunch of sprints out. If I can do it all with games, like that's, that's it. Well, it's interesting because actually if, so up in Canada, they play indoor lacrosse called box lacrosse. And Canadian uh, lacrosse players are very famous for being so good with their stick work. And the reason they're so good is an indoor game, you get the ball so many more times and it's so much faster because the ball stays live off the walls. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Uh, And the Brazilians have an indoor soccer game. I don't remember the name of it. It might be foosball or something like that. I, I don't know where they, you know, they kick the ball. It's a different size ball. And that's where the Brazilians really learn how to utilize the ball. But the conditioning is you'll get in condition, but you'll also improve those weird techniques that, you know, I can give a thousand athletes, we'll just use lacrosse, their stick, and we're going to stand next to a wall and I'm going to throw the ball at the wall and catch it, throw the ball at the wall and catch it. And that's great. And that is nothing like when I'm Mm -hmm. punching you in the face, trying to get the ball from you. So playing always makes you speed up your skill set. Epstein in his book, you know, he shows us that the youngest child is often the best athlete because they're sprinting to catch up their whole life. You know, I grew up playing against division one athletes in street football and street basketball game. You know, I I was nine years old playing against collegiate athletes. Well, I sucked, (laughs) but I was sucking against some pretty good athletes and you had to learn quickly to 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 adjust and accommodate 
yeah so okay i i'm i just feel like i'm no i no that's that's good it you know reminds you what you were saying it reminds you of rolf oman who was just on was talking about like basically there's some study or some research that had indicated that between the ages of 13 and 15 or somewhere in there like you're basically your limbs velocity just was set like beyond that point it couldn't however fast i could move my arm or whatever was i couldn't get any faster and i just think it's funny how yeah, and especially with the sum of the parts, like playing these games, being forced into or like competing against higher level people, you just have to play faster. You have to be faster. You know, we can talk all we want about all the training to do down the line, but at some point, it's like, all right, if before thirteen you weren't like getting those reps in and being pushed on some level with like to play against bigger, faster, stronger kids or yeah. something, like there's only so much that you can make up for beyond some point. It just I don't think we look at that age window enough, and just to be getting those fast, explosive, high coordination reps and so valuable at that age. One of my best friends is a very famous uh, baseball coach, and he talks about these parents will come up and say, you know, little Joel, he throws a, he's in ninth grade and throws an 83 mile an hour fastball. What do you think about that? He says, at best, he'll improve three miles an hour, which is a change up pitch in the AAA league mm-hmm. that the Salt Lake Bees are in. He has, if he throws three miles an hour faster, he has the velocity of a slow ball at the higher levels. And he doesn't do it to break their hearts, but it's like saying, uh, my little boy Jimmy is six foot two. Do you think he can make it in the NBA? As what? Well, as a center. No. No. No, he can't. He's, what, is that, what is that weird statistic? If you're in the United States and you're over seven feet tall, there's a 17% chance you played in the NBA alone. Yeah, I've heard something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird, it's just like yeah. this weird statistic. Yeah. Uh, which is an unusual, that's unusually high, by the way, for those listening to have one factor. Like, for example, this chances of being in the National Football League with blue eyes here across America is probably pretty low. You know, it's, the, yeah, <laughs> it, you know, when a child's born, their eyes, you know, when they're about one and their eyes are blue, it doesn't mean, oh, he'll play in the NFL because he has blue eyes. But if they're seven foot, 17% or whatever the number is. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were talking about some of the parts too, like I, I love one plus one equals three. Like it's just, it's just, I should have it on my wall somewhere in the sense, like I've, I've been thinking about it a lot and something that it's almost been a conundrum for a while. And and by the way, I love the Victor Saniev, like, yeah, one of the best longevity triple jumpers of all time and playing, and I'll get to the one plus one equals three, but like you, there's been more than one coaches on this show who will say they have like kind of a trademark game they play as a warm up for the weights or, or whatever they're yeah. doing. And they are, they almost always say that these players seem to like that game more than their actual sport. Like they don't want to stop playing it. And it just makes me think about just playing for the sake of playing, like doing things that are the maximal amount of fun without necessarily any pressure or anything like that. You know, it's just like we all get to be kids again. We're just having fun. And and I do see it like young kids too. And I see it in my own kids. Like, you know, if they were just like, I don't know, running down the street or something, they'd probably give up. They say, I'm tired. I don't want to run anymore. But if they're chasing a ball, they're going to keep going. And then they're going to be like super tired at the end because it's just something about that. Right. And anyway, sorry. I've been trying to, for the longest time, think about, okay, everyone says basketball is the best warm up to jump higher. Like I could do the, all the, the marching and whatever. And the, you know, the, the lunge matrixes and the, you know, sprint prep and the jump prep and the plyos and whatever warm up you want, or even just go out and practice a bunch of jumps. And it will not warm me up as well as basketball. It, and what it for, and I keep thinking like, here's all the little components of basketball that I can maybe take apart and try to make a warm up out of. And maybe it'll get me to jump as high. Nope. It, it has to be that sum. And I feel like the, the last, the, the biggest like ingredient, like the, 
The king ingredient there is it's with friends or competition. It, that's that's the one that you really that's like the the king ingredient right there with queen ingredient, and it's like that reaction that competition just takes everything else you're doing and it just really ups that whole thing to this point that you I don't think you can recreate it and so I'm always just thinking about that like these some of the part experiences that are really organic too like these are in part of nature you know this is what we're just meant to do and we're not necessarily meant to play one sport and then when we're not doing it just try to like dissect all the little pieces here and there so much I mean we can but you know I just think it's I was uh, LJ Sylvester's at, at a workshop and the question came up about off-season conditioning he i remember if you actually listened to him and didn't you know somebody he said just why don't just you know maybe lift weights two to three times a week and then play basketball you know (laughs) getting yourself in a in a in a league and play basketball he goes that's all you'll ever need and i'm like well you know i'd like to i'd like to disagree with you but you know we're both you know we're both aggies so we have to oh one funny thing i was going to show you so that's uh those are my handwritten notes on Victor Saniyev's program. Can oh, you see it? nice. Yeah, I can. I feel like I should take a screenshot right now. That's awesome. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. Here's my little, there we go. All right, done. Yeah, and then inside. So I, this is my little red book and I've been keeping notes in here since 1974. When I hear something that just staggers me and changes the way I look at everything, I always put it in here. Problem is the matter paper and the cover fell off. I had notes on the cover. I can't find it. Boy, there's some great stuff in here. Huh. Yeah. So it was funny when I mentioned Zanny, Evan, you knew it made me kind of happy. Yeah. So I think we're coming to an important point here. I mean, so are the drills that you teach important? Yes. When they're important. The drills that I teach as a throws coach are important when I teach them. But you have to make sure you, you have a system yeah, you got to make sure the athlete's in condition. By the way, I am stunned, stunned, I tell you. Shocked there's gambling in Casablanca. Um, how poorly conditioned the athletes come to me now. You know, I, I just was at my elementary school's 51st year reunion. My elementary school, we, we have reunions of great people. And that was something we talked a lot about because you can see we have pictures of ourselves in the eighth grade. And, you know, you know, I graduated from high school 162 pounds, and I think you could have, I mean, if I'd have flexed my abs, you could have, I could have held about 400 pens there. You know, I was just ripped to shreds at 162, but I threw the discus 170. And I don't know if that means much to you, I mean, I, but no, yeah, no, I, I threw a discus a little bit, not only 120. I just hopped in a couple of meets and chucked it, but I would have loved you know to train for it more. I mean, yeah. I, oh yeah. It's a long way. And yet nowadays I work with kids who weigh. It's weird. When I remember the first time I saw a 300-pound high school football player. He played for Westmore High School. He was 300 pounds. That's more the average in Utah football now. That's kind of where most teams will have a couple of 300-pounders. And it's not these are not Mr. Universe 300-pounders. And so one of the issues that we have now is kids show up now and we condition them, but they need much they need interventions, not conditioning. <laughs> I mean it. I mean, you know, if you're, you know, we, I, I'll deal with kids who are like 260 who have the strength levels of what used to be a hundred and 150 pounder, you know, and they're, and they, they, they carry a lot of extra weight. They, their ankles are in bad shape. Their knees hurt. They're having, they're getting feet issues because of the pounding and, and they don't play at all. They don't play. I had an athlete years ago and it stunned me and I, and I 
we had that Friday, it was during, when we we're doing the Friday flag football league. And I made this rule that everybody had to rotate at quarterbacks because, you know, we had kids who were really, really good. And he goes, coach, I don't know how to throw a football. I go, what? You played, you play football. He goes, yeah, but I'm a lineman. The kid had never thrown a football because he was a lineman. The only time he had ever played the game of football was when he had helmet on in a league. So he played for eight or nine years and never once played football. It's stunning to me. Yeah. There's no pickup games anymore. You don't see kids at a park with baseballs and there's always these damn adults who think they know better. Get out of it. Stop. Parents, stop reliving your youth through your children. It's their turn. Let them go. Let them play. Quit having so many rules. Yeah. 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 It's, it is interesting. Like with that, even like, I mean, you know, how far have we departed from just playing flag football, you know, during recess or something. Right. And where, and where everyone, you know, different people get to be the quarterback now and then. I mean, I was never yeah. good at the quarterback, but I got to be it every now and then. And, you know, yeah. and everyone gets a turn. And, you know, even in coaching youth sport, it's just, it's interesting because it, even at the youngest level, I'm always trying to find ways where, where their kids can organically start to just do it on their own. Where I'm like, the, the more I have to intervene at that age, it actually kind of can almost ruin it, you know, on some level. I mean, they need structure and they need the basic guidelines, but like, if I roll out the ball and the kids just start playing on their own, like that's actually way better at that age. That's almost way better than me. Like being like, all right, we're going to do it like this. And you know, there, cause there's way more laughing and them having fun. If it's just kind of them and they're all playing like, you know, and it, it changes a little bit as you get older, but I, I totally agree. Like we've, it is interesting. It, you know, again, it, it's like the shows that people love are like, you know, the high end speed and power, which is great. I love that stuff too. I will listen to that all day. I'll probably, you know, I'm going to check out Victor Stanyev's, uh, you know, training log and I'll go over that. And I, I love scheming all that stuff up. But like, if you don't look at like that, that soil, like I, I liken it to the soil a lot, you know, like the nutrients that's in the soil and the way that, you know, the kind of nature recycles itself. Very biblical, very new Testament. Yeah. yeah. Very nicely done. Yeah. Yeah. If we don't, if we don't do that, you know, we have to look at that. It's, it's really critical because otherwise you're just looking at the after the plants already grown. You're just trying to prop it up and make it real nice. You know, after. <laughs> yeah. I, I joke with my British, uh, I teach at St. Mary's over in Twickenham and I always joke with my British students. I was driving one day, uh, I was getting driven from the airport to, to the school and there was this team practicing and every single person was an uh, matching perfect Adidas tops and bottoms. And there was 20 little girls and a coach holding the soccer ball around his arm like this. And I probably was at, so I was at a stoplight. So I don't know how long this went on, but at least two minutes of the coach talking to the team. And I thought to myself, and I told my students, is this a model of coaching? I don't, don't know where everyone wears the same uniform and nobody does a damn thing. And the thing is the truth. I mean, toss out the ball let them mm -hmm. let them play and you know adjust you know adjust adjust as you can make so today is you know only kick with your left foot day and tomorrow is i don't know make up rules make up new rules have fun shrink the field widen the field enjoy yeah quickly i wanted to let you know about the chance to try out performance herbalism for only a few dollars shipping costs and get one of Lost Empire Herbs' flagship products, Pine Pollen, for free. Switching to an herbal emphasis in my supplementation has been a life-changing switch for me. Just as nature is by design balanced and sustainable, I believe that the more natural our diet and our supplementation is, the better. I love and use several Lost Empire Herbs products that boost not only my energy, but also my strength. 
These include Chiliagit resin and the Phoenix formula. You can check those out by heading to lostempireherbs.com slash just fly and grab 15% off. If you're on the fence about the power of herbalism, I have a great offer for you, which is that you can get free. You do pay a few dollars shipping, but you can get free pine pollen. Pine pollen is an herbal powerhouse that is a hormonal and energy booster packed with nutrition. It's actually part of the Phoenix formula. And you can get that for free along with the normal shipping fee at justflypinepollen.com. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, it's just such a creative because the kids, they need so much variability and, and like that's where the creativity can run wild. Like it's this day today. You know, I got this idea. It's this day today. Like that, I feel like is the ground where that stuff, I mean, it's great everywhere, but that's where it's almost like the best, you know, because yeah. that, that, that they, they, it's just like imagination, you know, kids, kids need that. They can run with it. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, I actually, I'm curious uh, to pick your brain on this just really briefly before I get into a little bit of that, you know, I guess you call it sets and rep stuff or periodization type stuff, but you know, you did mention, yeah, you do have a place for drills. And so I'm curious, like, what is that? What is the proportion like of a practice look like if I'm doing a discus well, or chop put practice? Like, how does that break down for you? In, no, in it could be 100%. I mean, it could be, you know, it could be like, for example, if your season ends on June 1st and we go someplace like in July, a camp situation or something, I might take you, Joel, and you might have, you might have a day where you, are you right-handed? Uh, yeah, I throw right-handed. Okay, so I might have an entire day where I make you throw left-handed. You know, it rewires everything, and by the way, it simplifies it. And then maybe in the afternoon, we'll add an extra turn to that left-handed full turn. Maybe we break it up into seven different drills that build upon each other, and we go station to station to station to station to station. But in a typical setting, here's, okay, so here's how we do it in the weight room, and it maybe be a little easier for me to explain, okay? So push, pull, hinge, squat, loaded, carry. Then I have the iso. So first step is the isometrics. I'm a still believer that no movement is the easiest way to teach movement. So maybe a glute, if instead of teaching the hinge can be difficult with load, but teaching the glute bridge is pretty easy. You got that. Mm-hmm. Uh, push up, teaching planks is pretty easy versus say teaching the bench press. But if they can't plank, and we ain't going to let them bench. The next step over would be the traditional grinding, slower movements, the press, the, the pull-up row, rack, deadlift, front squat, that kind of thing. Then the next would be kind of the more, I'm looking for gaps usually here, but uh, the one-handed stuff where you're challenging symmetry, okay? And then we go to ballistic. Now, if we're doing a ballistic movement and I see that you, so now we've moved up to ballistic. So I'm teaching you the snatch, okay? So you've been with me for a while. Your your squat is good. Your hinge is good. You have the mobility and flexibility to learn the Olympic snatch, okay? Which I think is what you're supposed to do. And I'm watching you, and it's like, oh, well, hang on. He's One arm is getting it. The other one isn't. We would step back and either go. Now, the nice thing about we can go lighter, which is one, you know, we can do a a compound movement, what I call complexes, where you, like, for example, in this case would be Romanian deadlift, followed by hang snatch, followed by overhead squat, followed by back squat. And the reason is by making it more complex, very often it simplifies for the athlete. Uh, do you ever find that to be true? Making something more complex, simple, having you yeah. throw left-handed makes right-hand throwing much simpler. Yeah, Bobby White, uh, basketball skills coach, was talking about making drills at higher velocity, like shooting at higher velocity, actually cleaning things up. So maybe yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. of similar. Well, it, yeah. in the, same, uh, the same happens in music and typing. Having to type 
faster. My type teacher made us type as many words as you could in a minute, hmm. and you didn't worry. So, and then you would count the errors, but the most important thing was the words. And you go as fast as you can. Of course, when you're a little bit more careful, you now you're more careful at 72 words a minute, you know. Another time, maybe we have to break it down, slide all the way back to remind what a hinge is, do a hinge with a, a medicine ball, and then we do a hinge with a, a plate, and then we do a hinge with the barbell, then we do a hinge with the barbell in the snatch position, and then we go back to the lift. So those are the different ways you can do it. So you can make it more complex, or you can regress back and build it back up. I think those were the two best kinds personally yeah yeah it's interesting to think you know sometimes you can almost have too much on your brain because i mean there's you could go both ways right and i think about like the if i'm going to regress it's because there's like a get there's something that's not there like there's something and it's almost from like a hardware perspective like if you can't hinge like are you not opening you know the back of your pelvis very well or like you just haven't learned to manipulate your joints that way but so if you do it fast it's just going to look even worse but if are there opportunities where like, how do I know then maybe a skill, like I have everything I need, like shooting, like I have everything I need to shoot. It's the hardware's there and now it's more of a software thing. So let's go ahead and rip the velocity. You know, maybe that's the way of thinking about it. I don't know. It's kind of a, yeah, that's not, I mean, that's good. I think part of coaching is having that, uh, well, I was going to say the inner, not inner eye, but kind of the confidence to go, okay, let's try this. And I tell my athletes all the time. I mean, I could, you know, I tell them. I could be wrong on this. I mean, this may be, and I, I actually will do a drill sometimes and I'll, and I'll look at the athlete and say, we will never, ever, ever do that again. That is the stupidest thing I've ever done as a coach. And then what I like to do is just build it up. Uh, I am embarrassed for all my years <clears throat> of coaching. If I could start again as a coach, I would not start because of that moment. <laughs> and then of course, the next day we come back to the exact same drill. <laughs> thought we were going to do this drill again. Ah, it's a good drill. I, 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 I didn't, all right, I'll lie and say, I didn't sleep last yeah. night thinking of how to improve this drill. Yeah, see, I really? had a dream and it actually is not that bad of a drill. <laughs> Sleeping yeah, out, it's just, okay. And then it takes about a year or so for them to figure out I'm lying constantly to them. And that's always kind of a fun day. <laughs> it is yeah. funny, actually, yeah, when athletes are done with their time with you and they look back uh, where yeah. they kind of see your process, you know, they, they, yeah. they see the whole process now that they're out of it sometimes. But. I have found that there is a kind of athlete that making things more complex seems to help them. I'm seeing, and this is interesting. I'm seeing this more and more and more. I think a lot of kids with their helicopter parents and their, they've been micromanaged their whole life mm. that you almost have to throw too much at them to get them to release the brakes. Interesting. So I've, I've had to kind of change the, the athletes I'm working with now do better with complexes than say my group would have for my group. If my snatch was hurting, uh, Dick Notmeyer would have me do snatch deadlifts with more load that that wouldn't necessarily work for the couple of the athletes I'm thinking about right now. We would do snatch complex to help them just to get more. If they continue to yeah. just keep overthinking, Everything is going to break. Uh, yeah. You just have to go with the flow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's athletes who tend to overanalyze. You're almost giving them enough complexity that it turns off their monkey brain. It, it, exactly. It right. Right. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever, I had a near coming home from this thing uh, last weekend. I had a rental and this car cut me off and I was shocked. A car I'd never driven before, how quick my reactions were to avoid a collision. 
you know, I braked, oh, yeah. I turned, I, you know, I did all the things you're supposed to do. I regrouped. I didn't honk because I couldn't let go of the wheel. But um, when things are that, that's what I want my athletes to be able to do is to, I don't want to be telling them, you know, you see this a lot in high schools now. There's one school I'm thinking of specifically on American football. The offense will line up in the spread formation and then I'll yell, Joel, Joel, watch out for number 24. And you'll still, Joel, Joel, look over the sideline, process what the coach just said. And then, of course, by the time their head swivels back, number 24 is in the end zone doing a touchdown dance because he, he, I, I, I like to get my athletes to be able to do everything kind of autonomously, not me telling them what to do and automatically so that, you know, it's, you know, it's, I see this, I do that. And to know, you know, and you can do that in a, as a sports team with rules. I think in, uh, with defensive backs, if you're a corner, an outside defensive back, the, the rule is one can hurt me. Uh, the, you count the receivers from the widest and you count in some. One can hurt me, two can kill me. So if one goes in, shift your eyes to two. Because if he's coming at you, that's a that's an easy touchdown. One can yeah, one might catch a pass that hurts. Two will kill us. So those are rules, and I think sometimes good rules make if you can teach the rules and keep coming back to them. This is what we're all trying to do. And then the other thing is practice special situations constantly. The one thing I do like there's a show called The Man in the Arena about Tom Brady, and in the I think it's the third episode where they. They've just won the third in four years. And Belichick that season focused on special situations, every practice, every game. And Tom talks about, uh, yeah, we, we were prepared for situations. And so to me, there's, so you have rules, you have special situations, and then you get out there and you play, you play, you know, and I, and I, and I think now as track coaches, I don't know if you ever coached the hurdles, but I think you need rules. My brother Rich was a very famous California hurdles coach. And when I asked him advice about helping with the hurdles, he said, well, there's 10 hurdles. And he said, it's the 10th that makes, you know, makes you win and lose. And so one of the things he got me to do is when I coach the hurdles is that we never do that stupid thing. All hurdle, every hurdle practice, they go out of the starting blocks and they go over hurdle one, hurdle two, hurdle three. Hurdle one, hurdle two, hurdle three. That's not the race. It should be hurdle one, hurdle two, hurdle three, and then just put a piece of tape, a piece of tape on the ground for hurdles four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and then put a hurdle at 10 and have them run all 10. Uh, not all, they're, they're, they're hurdling one, two, and three, and people will trip over a piece of scotch tape on hurdles four and five, the same place they trip at every track meet. And to me, that's to me, that's when you get wise coaching is when you're training your drills and training your your vision and training reflects the real issues that happen in performance and performance is when someone calls your name and you step up. Yeah, like it's yeah, I was just referred to as uh, the Ralph Oman show that just went out as gaposis, like the gap between training and competition, like what happens in competition and what does your training look like? And then if there's too big of a gap there. That gaposis, then you're in trouble. So, gaposis. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. So, if you have hurdlers who go hurdle one, hurdle two, hurdle three, and I'm coaching against you, 
I'm going to tell my hurdlers, I want you to win four, five, and six. You're going to be, I'm actually even maybe having practice being behind, you know, even having maybe people, a good way to train hurdlers is to have them get hit. Those foam things that you Hello, pull, pool pool noodles, <laughs> pool noodles. Yeah. Cause, because you get, remember at the hurdles, you get hit. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. The, the guy, if someone's to your like left and their trail or trail arm yeah. is, is smacking yeah. you the whole time. Yeah. Then they're, <laughs> yeah. So you go hurdle one, hurdle two, hurdle three. I hit you with a pool noodle noodle at three and your job is to go four, five, six, just to get used to that kind of thing and tell your hurdlers, you're going to be behind at hurdles one, two, and three. You're going to win at four, five, six, and 10 or have, you know, that's how I like, I like to prep my athletes. What's going to happen at the meet. There's a great word from theology. Prophets are not foretellers. They do not predict the future. Prophets are forth tellers. They say, if you continue this behavior, these are the kinds of things that are going to happen to you. And I think good coaching is forth telling. So here, how, here is a way we can win this race. You're not as fast as Joel. You're not. You're, you're not as good looking as Joel. Okay. Sorry. True story. But Joel trains hurdles one, two, and three. He's got a great start. He hits hurdle four all the time and he clips hurdle five. He stumbles on seven. We're going to jump him on four, five, six, seven, and win the race. If he sees you pass, he'll panic and he'll crash on 10. And all of a sudden people go, how'd you know that? Well, because that's what coaches do. Your team is more talented than my team. I got to figure out ways to attempt to win. You know, if you got LeBron James in high school on your team, you know, I'm going to have to do some pretty good coaching to beat your team that yeah, it's it's funny. You're actually almost scarily accurate with me and the hurdles because I, I ran my senior year of high school. Like I just I should have ran them all through high school. I don't know why I didn't, but oh, sure. for some reason, Great. senior year, I'm like, ah, I'll run them this year. Why not? And I remember I pretty much just practiced the first three or four. I don't think I ever ran more than that for a practice. I mean, I, I my coach was really even coaching me. It's just like I don't know. Here's some hurdles, <laughs> and I I remember a video of me. I did make it to the regional, the regional, <clears throat> not past that, but. I remember a video from the regional meet, like I'm winning by hurdle three or four, like I'm ahead of everybody. And then what do you know? Just like people just start mowing me down. And part of that is too, the better your hurdling technique, you do get better as the race go on, race goes on. I was just going off of just like basketball athleticism, basically just quickness sure. and just like, almost like I'm hurdling people like, uh, I, you know, it's, but then by the time I got there and I just never practiced it. And it's funny because I've heard like very accomplished track coaches say, this at least formed my bias back when I was coaching hurdles, you know, Wilmington College. I, I checked this. I was like, all right, this, this sounds about right. And it's like, oh, we work for like months on just hurdle one and, and it breaks your role in on the technique on one hurdle. And I'm like, at the time, I was like, okay. And then, you know, the, lo- the longer I kind of went on, even the last couple of years, I'm like, I don't think I agree with that anymore. Because <laughs> like, it's like, are you just going to practice? It's, it's like, so like variable learning too. It's like nothing's going to be perfect. And each hurdle <laughs> is an opportunity to learn. So it's like by only doing one hurdle, I'm actually minimizing my ability to learn, especially yeah. if I do a good job of putting the things the athletes had to notice, like, oh, just notice this, what's happening, or maybe messing with the hurdles. They're a little bit different. You know, I, that's actually, Love one, it. that's one of the things that I, I'm not coaching hurdles in person now. I, I work with a few people online, but like, if I was in person coaching high school hurdles right now, I would have the best time just messing with those hurdle marks just a little bit, doing variable learning stuff. I would have, you know, hopefully no one falls, but that actually, because I was going to ask you this. I get asked this about once a year because I the the Ruzon study that you mentioned in Easy Strength, and I think it came out of the Thomas Kerr's text from the 80s or 90s. 
it's like the say where like there's the long jumpers and you have the long jumpers who just went max it was in the motor learning section of easy strength talking about schema theory and it's like there's long jumpers who every jump was as far as they could as far as they could and then there was the jumpers that i don't know they put like hoops in the pit or marks in the pit and they just had it was a game kind of like how you know range you to, range we call it range throwing yeah, yeah exactly yeah. so I, I don't know like i i that's the ruzon books all where i found that study but i'm yeah i'm curious how that's gone to your throws practice yeah like you said range throwing right that's that's the bulk of it i yeah. mean most of the trash well, and it's funny because when boris zaychuk the the first person to throw over 80 after the wall fell he went up to canada to coach and the system he used is is interesting you warm up you take six hard throws and then in the hammer you mark off 15 meters from your hardest throw and by the way you mark off 15 and while i'm putting the hula hoop out there or the garbage can or the chalk, whatever you might be over there doing a couple of quick sets of snatches or something. And then we would get this mark. I like about mentally go about 80%. Okay. And what you try to do is put it inside the garbage can or the hoop. Now, if you throw too far, you fail. And if you throw too short, I just say, well, you got to hit that garbage can or whatever. John Powell, the great discus thrower loves this. Uh, so do I. I think some of the best successes I've had of breaking an athlete out of a slump is range throwing. Hmm. Because what it does is it makes the brain, it comes down to this. And this is, John, I'll use John's example first. And then, so you finally throw 200 feet. You've been training for seven years, you throw 200 feet. You've done everything you can to get to 200. Well, how are you going to get to 201? Well, you're going to deadlift your way up to 201. His idea is, no, no, don't do that. Put a mark at 160 and see how easy you can throw 160. Mm -hmm. Well, when you're throwing two, 160 is nothing. But what's weird, you throw 170, and I say, no, 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 no. I said 160. So finally, we get you to slow down to one, you know, know, get the rhythm for a 160 throw. And it feels, that's 80%, folks. And it feels so ridiculously effortlessly. And I'll walk over and I go, so 80% of your throw is completely effortless. And you'll say, yeah. And I go, well, what is the hardest thing you do add to it? And then you'll look at me, you know, it's not much. So what we then try to do, keep that same feeling of effortless, but pretty soon that same feeling gets you to 170. Mm-hmm. And what we think is that if your 170 is your 80, well, you've pushed your 200% up. It works the opposite, too, with body composition, fat loss. It could be a weight on a scale. If I was to stand on the scale today, even 230, but let's just say uh, 240, that is unacceptable. That's age 65. I I can't weigh 240. I want to dance at my granddaughter's uh, wedding. That's unacceptable. I will probably fast and walk all day long and just be an idiot until I get down to a number that I find agreeable. Uh, most people understand that as some line in the sand. But what I like is say, as track and field and weightlifting, we can use it this way coming up. The one of the reasons most good throwers don't do master track is I'm not going to throw 140. I'm sorry. I can't stomach that. I, I, it is against everything I believe. Okay. Well, that is my, my floor. And this, okay. In weightlifting, the floor is the, uh, pardon me, in body composition, the floor is the ceiling, so to speak. Mm. Ah, I got you. I, I'm fine with weighing 218. I'm fine with 211. 
240, that's, you know, or if my, or if my child says to me, I don't like to go to the pool with you because you're so fat. It can be something like that, that inspires someone to, to make that mental, you know, that quick, I got to change stuff. For me, I think what's brilliant about that study is that those of us who work in other fields understand the same thing too. I think a mistake a lot of businesses make, for example, is that we just had our best month. So let's next month make more. And if I'm coming in as a business consultant, I say, no, that's, that's stupid. What I would do, what are traditionally your worst months? Well, um, October and April, we're just making up. Okay. Well, this year, let's have the best October we ever had. So October is always about, you know, 73% of our December sales. Let's get up. Let's, let's, let's just do a little bit better. And you see what I'm doing? I'm nudging up. So I'm a big believer in the nudge. And the funny thing is, I think that's the way the human brain likes it too. Mm -hmm. I think the human brain likes to nudge things. Uh, Now, now, just to say, having me type as fast as I can or have me shoot faster in a drill. And by the way, I do the same thing with discus throwing. We use power balls. They're called machine gun drills where I have you do, it takes a couple of us, but I have you do the same drill and I keep handing you the ball. And you just keep throwing, 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 throwing. <laughs> that sounds like fun. And some athletes hate it because they want correction after every throw. Mm. But I'm like, shut up, just keep going. And <laughs> nice. what happens is the rhythm and the speed, all of a sudden, everything just cleans it up. And all of a sudden, the thrower hmm. just looks so much smoother. So complexity seems to help the brain in some ways. Drills seem to help the brain in some ways. And then playing with percentages seems to help the brain in some ways. As a strength coach, playing with percentages is natural because the load on the bar is so easy to work with uh more reps less reps is so easy i mean it's i do it thought i mean i don't even think about it you know i I just don't even think about it it's just so built into double progression that you don't even honestly it's kind of funny for me to say this i don't think about double progression uh uh, progression is increasing load increasing complexity uh, so go from a plank to an Olympic lift. That's a huge jump in complexity. Going from a 50-pound lift to a 400-pound lift is a huge jump in load. The other double is is reps. Is So I think more reps with more weight is what I'm always trying to get you to do. I expect you to be able to bench 400 as a thrower. If in your offseason you bench 400 for 15 reps, we're not going to have to bench anymore this mm-hmm. year. Okay, you, you follow. I mean, we're... The bench is done for the season. We're good, you know. Even though every time I walk out of the room, you'll bench. Uh, so, uh, so, so that's I think how the human brain works, and I think that's how we get better at coaching, is by having that toolkit. This thing about um, about playing with percents, see, it does get back to your hurdling example. I would like to put a so I would put a piece of, uh, and well, you can even use those. You know those little agility hurdles it's like oh yeah sure like mini hurdles wickets like the little eight inch ones or whatever that are yeah yeah i what i would do now for a young hurdler that young young joel here little joel you know brand new you know uh i might have uh, the mini hurdles at one two all the way up to nine and then have the competition hurdle at 10 and maybe on and maybe time you on day one and then maybe on you know day seven or eight, nine, do the same thing, except have a competition hurdle at five and 10 and just, you know, and then kind of swell our way back to our first competition. 
to me that that would combine the complexity with the ranginess of that, you know, that targeted jumping. Yeah. You know, I think, I think that would be one of those things when you find a good drill or idea, you almost instantly see how it connects the dots between all the other things you're trying to do. Yes. Yes. And like, back to the soil, you know, as you were talking, like be easy strength, the business example, you know, fat loss, the way I think of it too, is almost like, okay, if you have a plant in the soil, nurturing the 80% upward is like, it's like nurturing the plant. It's like making sure it's watered. It's making sure the soil is of good quality, gets sunlight, you know, you're taking care of it versus I think going like 95% every day is like trying to take that plant. You're just trying to pull it up, you know, and it's very just, much. It That's doesn't a, Oh, work. I like that. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, because I I garden. My garden's right over there. And one of the things that's so delightful about gardening is that the work you put into it really is just getting rid of the weeds. That's that's Mm -hmm. most of it. I mean, I'm gonna in a couple days. I'll be. uh, I I I do the three sisters. That's corn, uh, black beans, and squash, and they they work together. They work in their own little symbiotic community. It's kind of cool. And once I stick those, I'll have, I, I, I'll have, uh, math, not my strength, 12, I'll have tw- uh, 12 corns. Once I put that corn into the ground about, I think it's eight inches or something like that. I'm kind of done. Look, I don't have to tell the corn every day. Okay. Time to go to see. Okay, it's time for you guys to go to see. It, it'll figure it out. It'll figure it out by its own, you know? And uh, I like your example. And if I do try to rush it uh, here in Utah, we often, it's called, you got to be careful of hot soil. If you buy too hot of planting soil because of the intense heat we get in here in the summer, you'll burn all your crops up because you tried too hard. (laughs) And if you fertilize too much, you kill everything. You kill the weeds. Weeds love fertilizer. Weeds love care. Okay. Just so you, you know. But you're right. If you try too hard, if I water every day and I add mm-hmm. fertilizer, I kill my crops. Yeah. If I even do a little bit less than I should, they'll be fine. And of course, homocystis, whatever you want to call it, is, is where you want to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just going back to like that machine gun drill. I've never, I've never heard about that before, but it makes so much sense. It, may, it reminds me a little bit, uh, Jeremy Fisher, jumps coach at the Olympic training center was on a long time ago, back, shoot, the first 20 episodes. And he has this thing called the two minute drill for jumping. And it kind of get it, you know, it's funny because other jump coaches might be like, oh, that's not specific or whatever. It's basically like, all right, I'm going to high jump and I have two minutes and I have like a five step approach and I have to jump over that bar as many times as I can in two minutes, you know? And it's like, yeah, is it endurance? Yeah, sure. You know, it's endurance. But it's also like takes the 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 over analytical part out of your head. And it's brain erasure. Yeah. You know, that the, the Brits had a really good long jumper at the not this Olympics, the one before, who did the hang technique. And everyone said, Why do you do the hang technique? He said, That's the only technique I can trust under the pressures of high level competition. And I thought that was amazing. A the fact that he was so honest about it that's not something you often see but it's your same point why not have these training things where we just jump jumpers jump throwers throw sprinters sprint hurdlers hurdle and when you get away from that you get away from what they're trying to do oh i like that drill yeah and i, I would even i would even put even more uh, uh, confines on it i mean put a hula hoop in the middle yeah <laughs> you know you know i know you can jump 28 feet i want you to jump eight no, uh, on a drill 16 feet you know yeah yeah 
Yeah, I used to do a high jump drill too with like the velocity. It's like I had a coach who was so good at steering me the way I needed to go because he knew I thought too much. And he also knew that I read everything and it was one of those people who like a, a young know-it-all. And he yeah. would be like, oh, well, I heard this Russian coach I talked to said that this is a good idea. And it's like he knew I was going to go try it. And but basically one of the things was like high jump, long jump, like you're high jumping with a low bar, but as far as you can over it, higher velocity, you know, it's like, so now you're speeding it up. And that was one of the best things. I love doing that. What a good yeah. drill. Yeah. Yeah. High jump, long jump, I called it. It was great. Um, so when I teach gymnastics, I, I teach uh, wrestling and football players gymnastics because I think it's great for the shoulders. And I don't teach roundoffs. I never would use the term roundoffs with a football player. We say somersaults for distance. Hmm. And they come and they try to go as far. Of course, the, far, the, the way the physics work is your feet land right where your hands were. And that becomes the roundoff. It's interesting. Your coach used this. I like this is quite good. That's really. Did you ever do the long jump for height? No, I know. You know, I never flipped it. Well, I didn't. Um, I did high jump and triple jump. So not long jump so much, but I would have been that would have been interesting as well. So there's a there was a coach in the early 60s who really had a magnificent track team, went all in on isometrics. And his belief was isometrics, a magic drill and the event. And that's how he coaches athletes. You got <laughs> strong by going. Yeah. And then the magic drill for the long jump was long jumping for height and i found that and it's funny you said that because when you said that it was like my mind is now back in that article probably scholastic coach from 1962 or three probably yeah or athletics journal that, but yeah if i was yeah if i was working with like an educational course for young coaches i'm at a college like and i got my curriculum i feel like that like just a course on all right you got three things here's your actual event you know, here's here's your basic isometric strength and come with the magic drill, you know, and just like come up with like 30 different versions of that, you know, just to get used to like just coming up with these types of ideas. I, you know, I think I think what you just said there is profound. And I I would like to say I base a lot of my coaching on what you just said. My mind works well in threes, but I yeah. think you're right. I think there's so, you know, I have this thing. I, yeah, I don't know if you, I, I call it the prisoner's dilemma. If for whatever reason, you're only allowed three 15-minute bouts a week to train for your, your goal, your, your sport, what would you do? Well, if you tell me warm up on the treadmill, I have to slap you across the face. <laughs> if you say yoga, I still have to slap you across the face. You got three 15-minute windows. What do you do? So when I, was, when I was the head coach, one of the assignments I gave all the assistant coaches was if only the athlete only has 45 minutes a week to train, what are you going to have them do? My thought process on that is in high school, most of your athletes not only compete, at least schools I've been at, in multiple sports, but they also do multiple things on the track team. So I was a hurdler and a discus thrower. So I would like to have had, so if I say I would have also thrown the shot in, a, in an hour-long practice, I would do this magic hurdle drill i would do the magic discus drill and the magic shot put drill and then i'd get as many other bouts as i could yeah i like this and by the way uh what i usually ask people what are the three keys the follow-up to the prisoner's dilemma is the three keys but it always has to happen after the prisoner's dilemma 
because the person has to wash through all the nonsense that goes through their head. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I feel like for some people, the magic drill could be that singular event. For some people, it could be like the two minute drill or the machine gun drill, you know, probably depends on yeah. what, what they, but just that you call it the magic drill, like to have that, like, you know, that bind, you're creating something out of it too. I think there's something yeah. powerful. And, and what's weird about, what's weird is that very often you can find, like in the discus, it would probably be either the overhead squat or the power, the, the squat snatch, power snatch in the overhead squat or the overhead squat. That's your weight training. Power balls, full turns into a wall, so they don't go very far. Okay, those are the two big ones. Those are the, you know, the snatch and the full turn discus throw. Well, what comes after that, which, you know, which knits everything together, and there are times in my career I'd say, well, the suitcase carry for that, you know, that side strength. But then the next month, it'll be, I'm working with some other athletes, and I'm like, oh, no, no. They need to do the machine gun drill or whatever the damn thing is, you know, or the high jump for distance or whatever. Um, so yeah, and I I like it. I like the academic. Uh, I like sitting down six months before we meet as a team and agreeing that this is what we're going to do with Joel, who wants to do the triple jump, the high jump, and be on the four by one team. You know, so we know when you come to practice. Mostly you can do a lot of this and then of course get you into the competitive field, you know, you know, as a, yeah, it's a, it's a lesson I learned as a track coach. You can disagree. You'd be wrong, but go ahead. The best conditioning uh, most high school kids get is track meets. Yeah. And that's I why I wish we'd bring dual meets back. I think, I think dual meets can save track and field. Yeah. yeah. My high school go against your high school. There's, you know, in the hundred meters, there's three sprinters, not 48, <laughs> because those are the three varsity sprinters. And if I get a point in the shot put, I help my team. So I'm going to throw the shot put. What, what was the high school you went to? Uh, Milwaukee Heritage Christian High School. That was a long so time ago. So to defeat the hated Milwaukee Christian Heritage High School and your mascot was? The Patriots. The, of course they were. The Patriots. <laughs> to defeat the Patriots, I would train that week in the shot put to get the one point that coach asked me to see if that would help us tilt the thing. Yeah. And then every parent in the stand knows that when Milwaukee has 82 points and my school has 81, Milwaukee won today. Yeah. And when they see the kids who finishes first, second, and third, they, they understand that, you know, versus way track meets are now. How did you do? I have no idea. Yeah. Well, what place did you take? I don't know. I think I took first, but there was a guy who threw at 10 o'clock mm-hmm. this morning in flight number 24 that might yeah. You know, the way the way the competition yeah making it competitive and realistic like just like not far off of a basketball or football game you know i mean that's i think there's something powerful there i i think you need to to measure the the heights and the distances in the field events but i think you could do a, a really good dual meet which is uh, just taking pictures of the finish line you don't need times yeah. and you know what your athletes would run their hearts out oh uh, my point was is I think you get your athletes in condition by, by track. You're, you're running athletes by running in meets. Yeah. Because most of your athletes don't run nearly fast enough in practice. It's when someone goes, is when you pick up speed. Yeah. Yeah. I know you know, even like the, back to the over analytical thing. Like I know for me personally too, like just like I had to race people in like acceleration circuits, like everyone's starting the push up position, ready, set, go race your buddies. Oh like, yeah. Love that. I yeah. was, yeah. Or, or do you, 
three mountain climber kicks or donkey kicks and go like, I, that was so much better for me than just like get on the line and think about something like in infinitely. Like if we're talking about turn off someone who overthinks brain like that, that variable learning was so good for me in, in that realm. You know, I was going to say with the hurdles too, it's like almost like the rhythm, like you said, the tape marks, it's like the soil is also like the rhythm, like the rhythmic qualities that exist and then put a little complex piece in there. And uh, I like that. So last question, and this actually probably reflects uh, like almost what I came in with the theme of, but there's so many great things we talked about. I'm, you know, it's, it's all good. I, I, even if I had less time to talk about periodization, totally fine. But I asked this to you because some people have asked me like for Q and A's I put out there, like, where do you get started with sets and reps and periodization? And I think sometimes I get so buried in complexity to go back to like, well, where do you start at the base level without getting too carried away? Right. Like, well, you could just do two sets of five every day, right? Like, why not? That's just easy do, strength. Yeah. yeah well, why not just do that? Way. Like, yeah. Let me, what do you so, think about that? Like, where do you yeah, start? No, no the problem. Coach? So first off, I think, and I said this, you have to have rules. Okay. So I say there's a, the exercises are push, pull, hinge, squat, loaded, carry. Rule number one, your push, your pull, and your squat numbers need at the end of the week to be the exact same. Maybe not load, but if you, if you add up all your push numbers in a typical high school setting, you'll probably have over 200 pushes. I doubt you get into, well, you might get into the high 70s in pulls, and you'll have 25 squats. But what I said is those numbers have to be the same. So I like 75, 75, 75, which is this, five sets of five, three days a week. So by having the rule that the push, the pull, and the squat have to be the same number, you instantly, instantly in two weeks, um, you clean up most of the problems with sets and reps by having a rule. And, uh, you know, I talk about this all the time. Here's, I'm going to give you a perfect program. Uh, For two weeks, five sets of five. Military, press, row, front squat. After that, two weeks, five sets of five. Bench press, pull up, back squat. There, perfect program for high school. You'll get your hypertrophy work. You'll get your power work. Now, hinges are a different different family because, you know, deadlifts, you're going to have less. Snatch and clean and jerk, you're going to have more. Kettlebell swings, you're going to have a lot more. But you should hinge. You should probably hinge every workout. And you should hinge, not do those ugly things I see. And then loaded carries, yes, do some. Okay, there, there's your perfect program. Um, basically, depends on two things: what you want in a strength program. You probably have ten quality reps, but in the high school level, you're, it's not going to be a big deal because they're not going to be strong enough to get that yet. But ten reps—that's five sets of two, three sets of three. That's easy strength. Okay, for most cases, it's the Lorms numbers from World War II. Um, basically 15 to 30 reps per workout in most movements. So now let's go back to my template. If you did three sets of eight in the military, three sets of eight in the row, three sets of eight in the front squat, three sets of eight in the snatch grip deadlift, and then you did the farmer walks, that's a pretty good program. Okay, do that for two weeks, then go heavier and do three sets of five. Do that for a few more days and then go uh, weeks, then go three sets of three. Flip the switch, go to bench press, pull up, thick bar deadlift, back squat, loaded carry variations, do whatever's appropriate, three sets of eight, five sets of five, whatever gets you there. And just keep making those small dosing changes. And to me, that's far better than 
mm, all the nonsense I see. I just told you it's better than most programs you'll ever read in your entire life. Dan, one thing you said, I think I forget if it was on the last podcast or one before it, but you talked about something like in discus until you're throwing like 180 or 190 or something like that. Don't worry about periodization. Like something like that. I, I don't remember the exact distance, yeah. but I'm curious, like just, I mean, thoughts on, all right, we're going to do a strength phase or a power phase or whatever. Like, you know, like what do you, what do you think there? I mean, I, I've competed against schools that actually have periodization and and then you go to the meet and the kids are doing standing throws. Yeah, they might be more prepared at, a, at their mitochondrial level than my throwers. You know, their little furnaces of power are in better shape than my throwers. But my throwers just doubled their efforts. Literally, I had an athlete one time throw twice as far as his competition. Folks, that's brutal to watch, okay? Uh, that's brutal to watch. Twice as far? Brutal. And the kids from the other school they all had their you know strength numbers on their t-shirts and it's like yeah you guys are strong but you don't do full turns so my thought is i guarantee most most of the time when i people see people trying to apply these advanced programs they still haven't taken care of the fundamentals Mm -hmm. and basics you know i'm talking uh, so my athlete has to compete uh 8 a.m on friday this 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 friday and so I had a very candid conversation with him about bowel movements. Uh, if you have to throw at the state meet at 8 a.m. and uh, you're used to having your morning uh, poopy at 7:30, well, you're out there already. You're you're waiting. You're waiting on your flight to start. You're or you're warming up. And I swear, I've stolen more state track championships because I talk about things like bowel movements and. Um, <laughs> what time to get to the meet, you know, don't, don't get there five minutes before, you know, uh, don't get there five hours before. Um, so some of those fundamentals, the details, I tell my athletes all the time, the night before the nationals, the state meet, you're not going to sleep. Well, that's just the way it is. You might've traveled and you're going to be in a different bed. You're probably only half as much sleep. So when you finally do get up in the morning, acknowledge, I knew I wasn't going to have a good night's sleep, but I've just finished, you know, 362 straight days of good sleep. I'm fine for one day. And if you don't have your magic breakfast that you always have, whatever it is, your snack pack and mommy makes you whatever, that's fine too. Because you, so to me, those are the details that are far more important than whether you're in a power phase or whatever. Yeah, it strikes me as that being like, you know, you talk about majoring in the minors and it's like, yes. and I feel like, I mean, this is something that I think until maybe on some level you've coached um, like the sport and not just done the strength, but done, you've done the sport is you realize that like, like throwing is powerful. Throwing is explosive. Sprinting is explosive. If I do a good job managing the explosive like sport that the person's doing, as long as the strength program is consistent and not stupid. It's the strength is going to take care of itself. Like a strong athlete is going to do the basic things and do their sport. Have you ever seen Charlie Francis's strength workout? Super basic. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Lat pull, bench press, and leg press because uh, he didn't, he didn't like changing exercises because it made his sprinters sore. (laughs) Well, and now you can disagree with it. I've got that German book with all the one legged snatches and stuff. I look at that and it's like, your brain would have to use so much energy to figure out the technique of the one-legged step up on the box snatch or clean 
you and, and by the way, it looks impressive. But is that really going to make you jump farther or throw farther? You know, when you talk to the best and brightest, that's one nice thing about having a friend like Tom Fahey in my pocket. Tom Fahey talks to everybody. And he would tell me, yeah, Dan, nobody at the elite level does that. This is what yeah. they're doing, yeah. you know, in real time. And I'd be like, oh. And like he told me when Easy Strength came out, he goes, yeah, that's exactly what the best are doing. They, they pick a couple exercises and they get freakishly strong. And that's it. Yeah. Um, you know, sadly, I didn't listen to that. I, I took that. Uh, I took the squat is the answer to all questions things too strongly and it talked to throwers very very few throwers get anything out of squats now the movement of squatting should be done daily it's mm -hmm. it's it's a fundamental human movement there's great value to it uh, i don't see a lot of value getting your squat up at the high school level probably in the mid 200s at the open level over 400 those are light loads but your hinge your snatch and your deadlift and your clean should be you know pretty scary to people um, and, and so you, you're doing this program where you're, you've got your athlete squatting four days a week, doing the Soviet secret squat sauce program. And you later find out that the Soviets never did that ever. Someone just put that on paper and your athletes can't walk up a flight of stairs because their legs are so tired and their joints hurt so much from those heavy squats. I'm not against squats folks, but it has to be done in their place. I'm not against really too many things but the problem is in our field if if one sugar cube is good then you know 50 pounds must be better yeah it's like putting out too much uh, fertilizer in the soil i guess you know it's like you gotta Getting pick back how to much. our fertilizer store yeah yeah you gotta pick how much yeah. and i it's funny when i was in college i remember my college track coach who was this you know i went to a small college like it wasn't like i didn't have a specialized strength coach it was just the track coach giving me a strength program it was the same exercises all year and i didn't really i didn't complain about it at the time like and afterwards i was like man we did the same ones all year I, maybe i would have been so much better if we would have mixed it up and now i'm like no i wouldn't have like that was good that we just did the same ones you know we did snatch we did clean squatted you know like that pretty much that you know i i did step ups a little bit for high jump you yeah. know like just regular old bar, box step ups and yeah. a few other things here and there my but senior really year at utah state i was so sick of lifting so i had lifted i started lifting in 65 so this was 79 and I, I I had recovered from that big concussion from getting hit by the discus. And all I did my senior year was squat snatch and power clean. And I was basically adding about a meter or two a week in my discus. And people kept saying, what is it? And I look back now and it's, it's the first time in my life, you know, I, we always describe, you know, competitions, pulling a rubber band. I was famous for pull the rubber band and then pull it more and then pull it more. and then pull it even more and then pull it and then help have somebody help me pull it. My senior, I finally just went and let it go. And my body snapped and recovered. And I've tried to, I have always kept that in my pocket as a program. And then in 1988, I met Glenn Passy, the great uh, national champion from Utah state in the discus. He threw 190, weighing 178 pounds with 2K. So guy was a stud. And, and I asked about his training program. He goes, I just clean and pressed up the body weight. And then I snatched up the body weight. And I just stood there and wept softly <laughs> because he, <laughs> he had figured out his own little 
and it's interesting. Well, there's more stories there, but I don't want to, we'll come back to those at another time. Yeah. Yeah. So basically like, he stopped. He's like, I did it. I'm good now. Like, um, now I'll just throw or like basically take that. Now I'll just go be the national champion. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'll be here if you need me, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's sometimes when you figure out those things, um, most great athletes don't talk to them. Don't talk to them six months after they t- retire. Then they're full of it. They, 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 but about five years after they've retired and they've let things sift and you sit down with them very often, it'll be like, yeah. And then they'll come out gems and almost universally, it'll be so basic, so fundamental, so simple that both of you will laugh out loud. Be like, yeah. Coach Mon told me when I asked him what the secret to throwing the disc as far, he said, lift weights three days a week, throw four for the next eight years. <laughs> yeah. It's eight years that gets you. Right. But it's eight years that gets you. <laughs> yeah. And if I was a, now, if I go back in time, I probably would power clean and press squat snatch and probably just power clean and walk out the door and do none of the stuff I did other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is interesting when you're in the middle of it and it's like, what they say reading the label it's hard to read the label when you're inside the bottle you know at the time it's like ah, if if i yeah, just do this this and this and this extra power thing you know that'll that'll be it and but you gotta remember joel how much pushback guys like me get you know i if you're speaking at a workshop and i follow you um and you have this wonderful powerpoint presentation with graphs and bars and floating charts that superimpose and you show all these squiggles and people, oh, they'll be looking like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's so right. And then I got there and go, uh, lift weights three days a week, throw four for the next eight years. Be like, I hate his work. I just, I mean, I already knew that coming in. Yeah, I know you knew it. Now go do it. Everybody knows, but very few people do. My coach, uh, Coach Yoda, once said to me, do or don't do. There is no try. And it's true. I mean, I joke. He wasn't really my coach, okay? Um, but it's true. I mean, sometimes it just comes down to you. You, you just gotta. You just gotta stick with the form and let it. In American football, we say you dance with the girl who brung you. You know, and I think that's the secret. You just have to have the courage to quit. You know, fall in love with every squirrel that comes across. Yeah. 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 It's it's really you know just thinking about really like like what what makes the best and what takes the patience to cultivate and what's the thing that sometimes i think it's easy to look more so at the what than the how because once you get in this the simple like the doing simple better it's just okay well how do i do this like i'm one of the books i'm reading uh, logan christopher who's been on the show who's amateur strongman was posting about this it's like the it's called yeah. the spiritual journey of uh, joseph greenstein i think who's the mighty adam and yeah. like his strongman beginnings and it's uh, like that is all about the how, like bending iron. It's not like, all right, well, you're going to bend this kind of iron rod and then this one. And it's all these drills. It's like, no, here's the piece. And like, you have to generate the mental energy to impart the correct form onto that. You know, it's not, it's so much the how, you know, and it's like that, the strongman stuff helps you think appreciate that more, you know, yeah. and you apply the how to a really a basic program. The creativity strikes you when it needs to, you know, and you are consistent and it's just good stuff to think about. You know, it's stuff I wish I would have known more when I was. There's young. an old business axiom. It says, um, the guy who knows the how always works for the guy who knows the why. Mm. 
And I, I and it's I know I'm not trying to one up you. I'm just saying it's interesting to see how there's as you you know the cliche, the big rocks or the thirty thousand foot view and all that stuff. But it is true uh, if you if you know uh, rolling averages. When you step back, the farther and farther you step back, you begin to see the pattern so much clearer. And so many of the patterns I see in my life are, is that all this extra stuff I did didn't really raise mm-hmm. that, that distance or load up. It was more, <clears throat> but it wasn't better. Yeah. As I look back, it was always... It was always the big things that were greater than the sum of what put into them. You know, it was playing basketball. It was sprinting against people week after week after week. It was yes. doing the same consistent lifts and slowly getting better, you know, like the cross the course of the season. Like it was those things that were. Write those three things down. Yeah. Yeah. Greater than the sum that's of your next pro- That's your next program. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Track practice will start with, you know, you know, and, and, and change and change the rules of the basketball game or the soccer yeah. game to, you know, maybe there's no one's allowed to shoot inside inside the three three point line you know and just have three on three so everyone's running down the court whatever you do or or only layups or, or only whatever just change the rules enough to make it you know different so that the basketball players don't dominate or or let me play against them and I'll hit them <laughs> but yeah I like your pro and then then so and then you race and then you you lift you race you play basketball that's not bad yeah that's not bad yeah some yeah. of the part or greater than the sum that's 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 my thought man i, I love it oh hey dan thanks for coming on the show again oh, yeah. um you know we talked about a lot and it's always good when we you know like it's like the thing i was going to ask you was not even the whole show but it actually turned out to be like it's it's the best when we can just kind of go on something that's so important for well, you know that front end and, so. and you know i'm a big fan of your work and and, uh, and, uh, and i like what you're doing so yeah uh do me a favor. Make sure you send me the when you put it up, okay? So I can share it with people. Oh yeah, yeah, we'll do. Email it though, because remember, I'm 65, not 15. Yeah, yeah. I'll snap. I won't Snapchat. Send it to you. So yeah, yeah. That's not going to get there. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to another show. If you enjoy what we're doing with this. You can help us out by leaving us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, whatever you happen to be listening to. I totally appreciate it. We'll see you all next week.